You're listening to the Business with Purpose podcast with your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. This podcast takes you behind the scenes with some of the world's most generous entrepreneurs, from the CEOs of mission-driven brands to directors of small community nonprofits and everything in between. Molly is sitting down with men and women who believe in changing the world not only through their personal lives, but also their professional careers. And now, here's Molly. Hey guys, welcome back to another edition of the Business with Purpose podcast. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. Welcome to the show. We have over 30 episodes in the archives that you can check out with so many amazing social entrepreneurs, photographers, creatives, so many people that are making a difference with their businesses. Today, my guest is Rebecca Gardner, and she is the founder of Hands Producing Hope. Hands Producing Hope is an organization that is working in rural areas of Costa Rica and Rwanda. They produce beautiful jewelry, home goods, so many things, and Rebecca's story is so inspiring, and I absolutely love what this organization is doing. I know you will love my conversation with Rebecca, so I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Molly. I'm really thrilled to be here. I am so excited to have you on the show. Uh, We've had, you know, like sometimes life just happens. And then we had some scheduling things. But like I always say, when there's scheduling things, that usually means that it's just going to be that much better. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's worth the wait. Exactly. So (laughs) we're just going to kick right off. And I would love for you to give our listeners the Rebecca 101. So we'll get into talking about Hands Producing Hope and all the amazing stuff that you are doing with that. Um, But I want to know about you. I want our listeners to get to know you. Let's get to the bottom of Rebecca. So give us the the 101. Um, What did you do growing up? What are are all the things that uh, led you to where you are today? Yeah, awesome. Man, where do I start? Okay, so well, I'll start with where I'm at now. So I, I live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, um, and my husband and I moved here uh, almost three years ago now, and we moved here from Virginia. So I, we both grew up in Virginia. Where um, in Virginia? I lived in a small town um, in southwest Virginia in the mountains called awesome. Roanoke. Yeah, well, uh, I'm from Virginia. That's why I ask. Yeah, yeah. See, I'm from Roanoke, went to, grew up, and, you know, it's interesting looking back from where I'm at right now and seeing how all these little pieces um, played a part in why I'm doing what I'm doing. And um, growing up, I just really cared about seeing people who didn't have a voice being spoken up for. Um, And, you know, that played out in a lot of different ways, but, um, I always found myself, um, wanting to get involved in organizations that were advocating for, you know, the homeless or anti-trafficking organizations or things like that. And that was just like a very normal part of my life growing up. Um, and you know, I met my husband in high school at youth group. I was on the worship team there and in high school was when I first actually went to one of the countries that we work in right now. I went to Costa Rica on a short trip, never thinking that I would go back. So fascinating now, because I've probably been 15 times now. Um, But that kind of planted this small seedling inside of me. Um, And, you know, um, I actually moved to Costa Rica a couple years later, totally surprised by this. So I, I had a very interesting end of high school experience where I left my high school during my senior year. Um, I found a way to be able to get my high school diploma without actually being there. And so I went to community college for a semester 
And then the second semester of my senior year, I moved to Costa Rica to do an internship with missions organization. And I was just so ready to get into real life. Like, I don't know, I wanted to go and surf somewhere. I wanted to um, feel like I was doing something tangible and like yeah. making an impact. And yeah. um, so, so did that um, like two weeks before I left for my trip, I got engaged so I w- here I was, 18, freshly 18, about to move out of the country and getting engaged. So my life looked really different <laughs> than the average 18-year-old. Yeah. Um, but it was great. It was exactly what it was supposed to be for me. Um, and so moved to Costa Rica, um, and that's, that's really where the relationships that are the foundation of what we're doing there began. Um, what I was doing there was really different than what I'm doing now, but, um, the only reason that we, I was able to start what, um, our program does is because of, you know, everything stems through relationship. Um, and so, yeah. So then at the end of my internship, um, my soon to be husband, our immediate family and a few fl- close friends flew down and we got married there in Costa Rica. Oh, and that's awesome. then we started our life together as married college students. <laughs> yeah. So went to Virginia tech and I studied international studies. Oh, um, hey, go Hokies. And yeah, I know. Go Hokies, man. It's the best school in the world. My sister, um, my sister went to Virginia such- tech. So I have mm-hmm. a, my sister went to Virginia tech. So I have a very, uh, I have, I love that school. Awesome. Yeah, no, it was, it was so great. I had a really awesome experience because my major was fairly small. And so even though it is a pretty large college, um, I had very few classes that were like ginormous classes, you know? And so I, Mm -hmm. I I was able to build relationships with professors and get that like small classroom feel, which was great. So yeah, Blacksburg is one of my favorite towns in the world. But anyways, so in college is really when my heart for meeting needs through economic development started. Um, I didn't necessarily know that was a thing um, before, but um, I was really interested in learning how aid can be done better. Like I was learning in my classes about how often um, a cycle of dependency is created. Um, And it's like, okay, well, what do we do? Like how do... I don't know what I'm going to do about any of this, but I just want to know, like, as a human people, like, how do we, how do we fix this? How do we help people be more self-sufficient? All the while I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life other than like, I knew I wanted to, what I did to have a purpose and have an impact on people's lives. But um, I, I don't know. I toyed around around with going to law school and um, being a human rights lawyer. uh, And I meant to ask you, what was your major at Virginia Tech? Yeah, it was international studies, um, and I minored in Spanish. So, yeah, the major, it was kind of a conglomeration of things. My focus was world politics and policy. Yeah. Um, So a lot of, honestly, it was a lot of theory-based classes. Like, I did learn some concrete things, but it was a lot of, like, academia, international relations theory, and all these other concepts that I don't quite remember anymore. Yeah, Um, yeah. But it it was really great. I had some really eye-opening classes and yeah it was it was what I needed for sure um and the Spanish was helpful um yeah I bet bet. (laughs) yeah it was hard goodness 
It's hard. I am not naturally gifted at learning languages, which is a big bummer because I would love to know a lot of them. It's funny. I was just on last week's episode, I was talking with um, Amy Barty, who's the founder of um, Clothed in Hope. I was like, I'm not going to mix this up. Um, And we were actually talking about just that. I was like, I wish that I was like really great at picking up languages because I mean, I I can pick them up here and there because I grew up learning languages but there are some people like it just comes super naturally and they can like they're like I'm fluent in nine languages I'm like oh man (laughs) I know it's gosh I do think it's easier for people if they are raised bilingual or trilingual I don't know if that's true oh definitely because it's like it's, it's like all in the part of your brain that language comes from and anyway I know I'm off track I'm sorry I I totally did not mean to digress you (laughs) no no that's great yeah so one life dream is to know a bunch of languages I'm okay if that dream doesn't happen I do occasionally pray that God will just download new languages to my mind so who knows that might happen so you were married you were in school any questions if you have anything along the way I'm just like kind of going through my timeline but I don't absolutely I want to take up too much time either so Yeah. So I was in the middle of college and I was learning about all these things. And at that time I started learning about slave labor in our supply chains and was really mortified and angry and sad and like at times hopeless because I didn't know how to fix this giant problem in our world and just started trying to research and learn and see how I could be changing my own lifestyle um, to make sure that nothing I was buying um, was contributing to forced labor. So in that search, I discovered fair trade and how not only in buying this fair trade shirt, am I confident that it isn't harming a community or, you know, harming someone or someone's not being fairly paid or they don't have good workers' rights or all those things. It was like, okay, so I, I, I know that I'm not contributing to the negative, which I want to make sure, but it's also, it's not like this neutral thing. It's actually like super positive um, because you're helping someone be more self-sufficient and you're helping right. someone have access to work that has a harder time having access to work. And right most of these companies and organizations have community community aspects where they're pouring into these communities, not just in a financial way too. Um, so that was so, so eye-opening to me. Um, and so I just started making those adjustments in my own life. And so it was this really interesting progression of learning that. And then I kept going back to to jump back to Costa Rica, I, I kept going back each summer um, for a couple weeks to visit my f- missionary friends there and just keep up with them and help out in any way I could. So I go down to Costa Rica. Um, some good friends of mine that live there had started investing in this indigenous people group. So they started spending a lot of time with this ind- indigenous group and um, learning about who the community is, who they are and what their needs are and how they can be serving them. Cause there, there was a, there were a lot of needs and they, there weren't any other people that they knew of um, assisting them in any way. And so I got to meet some, they're called the Guaymi people. Um, and I got to meet some of them. One of the times I went down to Costa Rica and it would, you know, it, we didn't do anything crazy. I mean, I just got to build some, 
small relationships with people and we got to take them to the beach and many of them had never been before. And so that was fun. And I got to buy some jewelry that a couple of people had brought with them. And it was just like a fun couple of days. And, and, you know, it wasn't really until I went home and they stayed on my mind and I just kept processing what their life is like. And that just the, from hearing from my friends and them, what some of the biggest challenges are for them, what I learned and what was on my mind was the, in particular, the women in the community had very little to no access to work. I mean, the, it was very difficult for the men and women, um, but it's just that much more um, challenging for the women due to prejudice, due to uh, the women being fully responsible for their children, due to a lot of other things. And and they live high up in the mountains, pretty far removed from the closest town that has any sort of employment and their people group is discriminated against. So even if they can find a job, they're often paid well below the minimum wage. And so there's just like all these challenges stacked up against them um, to no fault of their own. And so then at the same time, I had this jewelry that I was wearing that some of them had made. And I just felt this like nudging that I was supposed to pursue something with starting something for the women in that community all the while kind of knowing that it would be something for other women around the world in similar situations yeah so I just started asking questions and um, talking with people down there and seeing what in the world that could even look like and that was a pretty long process I was gonna um, say, did you have like so you were you were back here living in the, in the U.S. and so you were um, at. Did you have contacts that you had just kept in touch with, or how? Yeah, what did that look like? Yeah, so it was really just this one family that they're from the U.S. They're from Texas um, and have lived in Costa Rica for almost ten years now. And so it was just them that I was communicating with, and what they were doing is so when we were discussing starting this first program, they were then going and communicating with some leaders in one of the villages on the reservation um, to see like, hey, is this is what we're thinking about. Um, is this something you're even interested in? Let's talk about this because we it has to be this collaboration. You know, it's right. we wanted to be very careful that it didn't ever come across or it wasn't ever this, Hey, let me come in and fix all your problems. Hey, I know how to make your life better. Let me come and do this. Like, cause that one that, that wasn't, that isn't true. I wanted to come alongside them and help them be able to provide for themselves. Um, and it was definitely a process of figuring it out together. <laughs> um, so we just talked with, you know, the chief in the village and one of the teachers in the schools, um, like the head teacher and just other leaders in the community to first talk with them and see what they, what their gauge on it all was. And they were really excited about it. Um, so then we, everything kind of spreads by word of mouth there. And so they just called a meeting for anyone who wanted to come to just share what we were wanting to start. Um, and it was as vague as like, Hey, we want to start something to, help the women have access to work and have community to like get together and get to know one each other, one yeah. another, you know, like yeah. really, because we, we didn't necessarily know exactly how it was going to go. And, and quite a few women were interested. So we were like, okay, I guess this is going to happen. Now we need to figure out what they're going to make. <laughs> and yeah. And you want to know something funny. So it's not even something that we sell now, but our first, the first time I 
went and met with our initial women, I taught them how to make cards and envelopes from recycled newspaper. I taught myself how to make that probably a week before the trip (laughs) because I have a serious procrastination problem. And we created these molds for them and patterns and stuff. And the goal was for it to be a, you know, we want everything to be as eco-friendly as possible. So that was one of the motivations. And what made you guys decide to like, were you, did you go into the saying like, we're going to do jewelry or we're going to do home goods or, you know, like, how did you kind of just figure out like, did you sort of, fig, you know, look at what the women or what the, you know, what the artisans already knew how to do? Or you, you just, you know, what did that process look like in the beginning? So it was kind of an evolving process. We, I, as I had mentioned about their jewelry, like I knew that some of the women in the community knew how to make jewelry. And so that seemed like a pretty natural thing to start doing. So I, I did not have any background in jewelry designing yeah. or jewelry making or anything, but they at least had understood the concept of making jewelry, even if we had to adjust any, like some designs and stuff. So that was a great thing to start with, um, especially because they had been utilizing seeds uh, that they collected in their local village. Um, And so we really loved being able to incorporate um, something from their culture, but also something that's, you know, natural and sustainable. So I knew we were going to do some jewelry, um, but I honestly cannot remember why I wanted to do these cards and envelopes. Yeah. I got, I, I liked the idea that it was usable, like consumable because then someone, if they liked them, they could buy 10, like, you know, a set of 10 and then they buy 10 more. So we tried that. It, it faded away within about six months. We just had a lot of, <laughs> we had a lot of like quality control issues and yeah. just like lots of things that I it was like just a growing pain thing of we tried it and it just didn't really work. And we're like, okay, all right, what now? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, but the jewelry, so we, they were making these cards and envelopes and, and anytime we would, we'd set up a date for them to, that they would turn in the ones they had made for us to look at and buy. And each time, um, any women who had made jewelry would bring it and, if I was there or Heather, um, our, the woman down there that helps us, she or I would look through the jewelry and pick the items that we thought would be able to sell in the U.S. and, and pay the women for those. And um, But pretty quickly, we discovered that there is a very big gap between U.S. fashion trends and what they were making and, yep. Yep. and access to consistent materials, too. So yep. Yep. it was the situation where a woman was being essentially penalized for not knowing that most Americans don't want to wear a necklace that has red, bright red, bright yellow, and bright green on it. And it's not their fault to not know that info, that that's not something that's popular in the U.S. So it was, you know, it was our job to educate them and help them learn what what color combinations work and all that. But so what we decided to do from that point on, just a few months into starting our program was we started helping come up with designs for the products and um, helping source materials too. So that way we could, I knew for long-term growth, I wanted to be able to have multiples of the same product, you know, and you can't do that if you can only buy beads every 
six months or, uh, you know, we just need, we needed to help with some of that consistency. Um, So that's really what we do now. We try to incorporate designs that are from their culture. Like for instance, our headbands um, is something that one of the women in our program was already making. And that's the, it's a pattern that's on their traditional guimy dresses. And so we love utilizing things like that because like it's cute and it's fun, but it also like speaks to their, their heritage. Um, and then same with the, the seeds that we incorporate in the majority of our jewelry. It's something that it actually offers additional income for them too, because, uh, we buy the seeds, they harvest the seeds and everything and we buy them the seeds from them to then give back to them for their jewelry. So, and then some of the seeds need to have a hole drilled through them and there's a separate person that we hire to do all that. So it's cool because it's it's from there and it's like adding to their local economy. So yeah, so that's kind of the genesis of getting our program in Costa Rica started. And, you know, through all that, so I've kind of shared about the product side, but from the beginning we wanted to make sure we were meeting not just a financial need, um, but that we were also helping meet their educational needs and their spiritual needs and really addressing them as a whole person. Um, yeah. So what that's kind of looked like is hosting various life skills classes. What we do, we'll just do a class that's open to them and anyone in the community who wants to attend. And we'll talk about anything from the concept of savings and why that's important and how to go about starting to do that um, to personal hygiene, to family planning, to lots of other things. So that's been really great because these are all things that these women now know and can implement in their lives. And that's going to have a real generational effect of things that they didn't learn until they were in their thirties, forties, fifties that, you know, their little kids will now have better nutrition because their parents understand that concept better and have more income to be able to buy better food. And yeah, that's such such a, I love that you guys sort of take this, um, very holistic approach to everything. And it's not that, you know, you're, you're not just going in there. And I mean, not that just providing a dignified job is bad because obviously that's something I preach all the time of how important that is, <laughs> but you're, you're also going in and then you're meeting, um, you're meeting their other needs and, and you realize, and you identify that in these communities and, um, in these developing nations, um, and even in a, I've been to Costa Rica, um, and Costa Rica, I mean, I, it was when I was a high school teacher and so I was chaperoning a two week field trip. So we went all over the country, but it was amazing. It was one of those things that even, that was, you know, oh my goodness, like almost 10 years ago that I did that. And so even in that time when I wasn't as conscious as I am now of, of poverty and and things like that, like Costa Rica is such an interesting place because you have even more so than, than like Rwanda and countries in Africa. um, It's like this very stark difference between poverty and money and tourism and um, like tourist areas and uh, rural villages. Like there's just, there's almost no middle ground in Costa Rica. Like it's, it's really fascinating of just, you can go through these towns where there's just, there's no power. (laughs) There is, there's no electricity. There's no access to clean water. Like it's just, it's very rural. It's very, um, you know, 
I don't know, desolate is not the word I'm looking for. You know what I'm I'm kind of mm-hmm. getting at. And then you'll go a town over and it's like this beautiful resort and like surfing and I mean it's just it's amazing. So to see that you guys are 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 going in these communities, you're you're finding out like what is it that you need? What is it that that your community needs most? What are your skills and how can we help and support that? Um, And then what are the areas in which you want to learn and you want to grow? And um, I love seeing how you guys are able to to do that and to to approach it in such a holistic and um, thoughtful way. Um, So you guys have uh, I kind of I briefly touched on this, but you guys have also now expanded to Rwanda. Um, when did you guys expand to Rwanda and what um, led you to choose Rwanda and all that? That's a really good question. People ask me that a lot because it seems like such a funny jump of jumping continents. And it like, where's the connection there? Yeah. But it's fascinating because both countries, they're wildly different, but they're also incredibly similar in a lot of ways, um, which isn't why we st- it's not the reason we started working there, but it yeah. was just really interesting to see once we were there, like they're both really, really tiny countries. They both produce a lot of coffee and tea and they have beautiful, beautiful mountains and beautiful, beautiful rainforests. So that was just something that I, I think is so funny that I go to two different places that are all the way across the world from each other. And there's like all these similarities to them. But so we started our program in Rwanda. We, well, we started our training program, um, in fall of 2015. Wow. That's mind blowing. So it's been, I guess a year and a half ago. It feels like yesterday. Um, and we really launched in the sense of we had, uh, finished products to start selling in the U S in about, April of last year. So right out a year ago. And that also started out of just relationship with people. I went to Rwanda in 2013, about a month before we were getting ready to start our program in Costa Rica. Um, it was right after graduating college. And I went with a local church from my hometown to to just go and learn. Um, we were doing a wide variety of things and I just felt like I needed to go and see what these different organizations were doing and see if I was supposed to have any role in what they were doing. Um, which was a really cool approach for myself to go into a quote unquote like mission trip. Um, because I knew I really didn't have anything to, like, I didn't have anything to offer. I mean, I could offer manpower and I I know I have things to offer, but I knew I just needed to go and see and go and learn. And so one of the things we did while we were on the trip is go to this island that is on Lake Kivu, which is a really very, very large lake that runs down the entire West Coast of Rwanda. Yeah, it's stunning. And so... They have a partnership with the local church there, and basically they were helping start a feeding program on this island. Um, There is a very serious starvation issue there, and so... One of the things, the some locals had started a had started a feeding program, but they just didn't have enough resources to feed as many kids as needed to be fed, and so this church was helping start a sponsorship type program to help 
fund to where they could have more meals a week and have more kids join. And that was really, really, really hard to see, but also really healthy to have to like come face to face with that type of poverty. Um, and like, you can't, you can't hide from it. You have to acknowledge it when you're like literally staring in the face. Um, and so I just, I mean, I was so heartbroken by the challenges that were faced by so many of those people on that island. Um, but I was also, I was so hopeful because there were a lot of awesome people doing things to meet some tangible needs. But I'm, so I was also in this process of starting this program in Costa Rica. So of course, like meeting economic needs and starting jobs and all this was in my mind, even though I hadn't yet done it. So I literally had no clue how to do it, but I knew that this was like a, something that needed to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, man, I need to, I need to start something for people here. Like, but how, wait, how do I do that? I, I don't even know what we're going to do in Costa Rica. And I'm already, I'm, I have to follow through on my commitment to these women that we already are starting to work with first. So, but that always stayed in the back of my mind and sometimes in the forefront of my mind. And I would, um, I kept in contact with some different Rwandans in that area that are leaders in different ways. And, would just I just kept asking questions, asking if it, if they were interested in getting um, a program like what I wanted to do started there. If they'd be interested in helping, who else they thought could help, all those types of things that I knew were questions that needed to be answered before we could start anyway. So I did I didn't know when one day we're going to do this, and so I'm at least going to have all these questions answered <laughs> yeah. before we can before we do it. And so we did a Indiegogo fundraiser to get the startup money to start a training class um, for a large group of women um, to start learning how to weave in October of 2015. Um, I was in my ninth month of pregnancy. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the campaign ended the day after my due date. Oh, my um, goodness. Yeah, you didn't have like a couple like made you know major life things going on at the time. I know. I don't know. I don't know why I do that to myself. It's really funny. Um, but it. I just. It was one of those things that you know when you know, when you know you're supposed to do it, it doesn't really matter. Like mm-hmm. none of that stuff. Mm-hmm. You're like, I know it doesn't make sense. It's okay. Like it's just okay. It's yep. it's what we're gonna do. And yep. so that's how this was of getting it started. Like we didn't have this reserve of money. I didn't have all this ample time to fill, but I just felt like it was time. Like I just knew in my, in my spirit, it was time. Um, and an amazing woman, um, named Kayla had recently moved to the same place we work in Rwanda and her being there is really how we were able to get this thing off the ground because there were different local people who were interested in helping in different ways, but I really needed someone to, that was on the ground to help spearhead it. And she was able to be that person. And so we just went for it. And it is going so, so well. I'll actually be going back there in a little over a month to visit with our women. But, you know, we have around 40 women that we're working with. Um, we have a literacy class that we started towards the end of last summer that has been so phenomenal one of one of our artisans so so let me back up all but 
all but four of the women that we work with there um, had no reading and writing abilities. And so the literacy class was dreamed up after us creating these little product tags and we're like okay we'll have the women sign their name on each bat and like we'll attach it to each basket and that will be great and people can you know read oh valencia made my basket well we go to have them sign their names and they're all handing their cards to like this one lady and want this lady signing their names for them I'm like oh okay like why are they doing that and talking about it and then it just kind of dawned on us like man they don't know how to read and write. Like why, why have not, we not like, it, like clicked where we knew most of them had very low education levels. And a lot of them hadn't gone either hadn't gone to school at all, or hadn't gone past like second or third grade. Yeah. But it just was real. It was really eye opening of like, okay, yeah, it's cool to have a name written on a tag for a customer to see who made it. But it's a lot more important that that person has the ability to read and write and can help their kids with homework and can have the dignity of like writing their own name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so that's kind of where we where we've started there is getting this literacy class going and it has been going so so well. We have three different categories of students. Um, now it started with one class and then as different people have progressed, it's grown and even the, the highest level right now, they're even learning basic English and they're just flourishing. They're doing so well on it. And it's been phenomenal to see our Jane, who's the teacher, you know, she's getting this opportunity to, to lead in ways that she's never had the opportunity to, to before. And she's growing her, her teaching abilities and, um, she doesn't have formal teaching experience, but she's able to, um, she's writing curriculums for them and giving them exams and um, testing their performance. And it's just been, it's been really great. Um, so that's one of the things that I'm definitely like most proud of that we have going on there um, for our artisans. I'm so excited to hear that. And like I said earlier, I mean, I just think, again, seeing those needs and, and addressing those needs, I mean, that is also what helps create long-term sustainability. And that's what helps to, um, you know, it's something that, you know, if, if you guys were to disappear tomorrow, then, you know, there's people there that are going to pick up, you know, and that's always like, I love hearing stories of social entrepreneurs who are just finding ways to empower um, and create to empower the, the, the native people there um, and also to create that sort of that long term vision among among the people, among the artisans. I mean, that's just that's that's amazing. I just I think what you guys are doing is um, is really inspiring. And I just I, I love hearing more of your story um, and, and more about what you guys are doing. Um, and also, I mean, let's just be honest, the products that they make are beautiful. Um, so for so people much. that have never seen the products that Hands Producing Hope does, so you guys have everything from the banana fiber baskets, um, you have beautiful jewelry, you have, um, you know, some some kind of like home goods, stuff for kids. I mean, so talk a little bit about that, some of the, the products that you guys have, and then also, um, you know, how people can support what you guys are doing. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start with the jewelry. So we have, um, 
We have jewelry. The jewel, all the jewelry is made in Costa Rica, and it ranges from jewelry that's made from seeds that are collected in the rainforest, and then we also have a collection of paper bead jewelry. And you know that ranges um, in price from eight dollars on up. So it's you know there's plenty of things in every price range um, and a wide variety of styles. My desire is that a lot of things will be very versatile. I like things that I can wear every day because I just pretty like to be low maintenance. Yeah. Um, and so you can definitely see that in a lot of the jewelry that it can be like dressed down or dressed up. Um, and you can be reminded of of the woman who made it when you wear it. Um, and then we, yeah, we have some home goods. So we have um, wicker baskets that are hand woven from vines and then we have um yeah, the other hand woven baskets from coast from rwanda that are so the inside is this um durable grass and then the outside is a woven it's woven with um dyed grass and it's in these beautiful patterns and i have them hanging in my kitchen i have one as a fruit bowl i, yeah, I have a bunch of ba- banana fiber baskets all around my house and i yeah i seriously use them for everything <laughs> Yeah, man, I know I'm discovering that I have a basket problem, um, but they're so beautiful. We launched a little kids collection too, which has been super fun to do. Um, so we have a little, um, we have some women in Costa Rica who are sewing those for us and their little burp cloths and um, pacifier clips. And then we have um, these little diaper pouches that you can uh, throw in your purse to fit a couple diapers and a, um, a little pack of wipes. Um, so it's really growing. We're wanting to grow our home collection for sure so we're always thinking of new things we can design and do new patterns new shapes all that so that's been really fun to work on and and just see how we can how we can create things that are beautiful full of these women's cultures but fit really nicely in a modern U.S. home um, and also tell their stories Um, it's like a lot we have a lot of goals from the product, but we're, we hope we're accomplishing all of those in, within them. And so, yeah, you can buy them on our website. Um, we also sell to retail stores, so you can um, check on our website to see if we're available in your town. If not, you can tell your favorite store that you would love them to sell our stuff. That's a huge way. Um, selling to stores is one of our is one big way that we're able to grow what we do. And then, yeah, selling directly to to our supporters um, on our website. Other ways people can can support our artisans and what we're doing is through, we have internships for college students. Um, we do have other various volunteer opportunities. Um, most of the volunteer opportunities would be if you're local to my area, but in Baton Rouge, but um, internships and stuff are available remotely. And honestly, just just being a part of our community, whether that's signing up for our email list or um, following along on social media and and just telling our story to your community. So that way more people can know about what we're doing and, and come alongside us and support us because we literally are only able to keep doing what we're doing because because someone just goes on our website and buys a necklace. Like it seems really simple, you know? Yeah. Um, so it maybe seems like it's not a big enough thing to do to like make a difference. But when multiple people do that, you know, it, it adds up to a lot. And we're able to have close to 70 women that are able to have consistent work because of that. So it's amazing. And, and yeah. that's one of the things that I say to people all the time is, they don't realize that like, yes, your purchases make a difference. Like every purchase you make tells 
the world, what kind of world you want to live in. And the, the companies that you are spending your money with, whether they be small companies or big companies, like your money, like your money is your vote. <laughs> and so I just tell people, I'm just like, you know, you know, I'm not saying don't shop at Target. <laughs> Sometimes you got to shop at Target. Sometimes it's just that's <laughs> how it happens. But when you can, you know, when you're looking for a birthday gift or you're looking for um, a new necklace to treat to treat yourself, you know, like <laughs> when you're um, when you're looking for that, you know, that housewarming present, when you're looking for that wedding gift, when you're looking for that new baby gift, you know, maybe take the little the extra time to find you know, a company that's working in a developing nation. And and not only is it, you know, making a positive impact here and abroad, but it also, I mean, those gifts are the most unique. They're the most beautiful. They tell a story. They're not something that everybody else is going to have. And so I just, yeah, I, I, I don't ever want to downplay like the importance of yes, like, yes, buy a necklace. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because uh, buying a necklace can change a life. It really can. Right. Yeah, that's so huge. Because I think just like you can accidentally like over glorify someone going and moving overseas and that being the only way that you can go and serve another community. Like, it's like, no, there's so many things you can do from right where you're at. Like those, the big gestures are huge. Like when we get a large donation, like that makes just that much more of an impact, you know, like those but you need both. Like you need, you need just the basket purchase. You need someone to share a picture on Instagram and be like, Hey guys, go check them out. Like those, those things really matter. Um, and it's just all about being intentional with all those little decisions that adds up to how you decide you're going to live your life, you know? Yes. I love it. So Rebecca, um, as we kind of wrap up here, you know, obviously people should by far, uh, I want people to go to your website because you're going to go, you guys, if, when you're listening, you're going to go to Rebecca, to the Hands Producing, it's handsproducinghope.org, correct? Yes, that's right. And when you go to the website and you go to that shop tab, I'm telling you, you're going to be like, okay, I want all the things. Um, <laughs> if you are in college, if you're a listener and you're in college, you have a college ambassadorship program that people can find out about under the um, Get Involved tab. So if you're if you're a youngin, a millennial, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what age, what generation the millennials are, uh, you can get involved that way. There's tons of ways, and also just like like Rebecca said, just sharing the story. Um, how can they connect with you? What is the best? Is you know obviously Instagram, Facebook. What's the best way to connect with you online if they, if people want to find out more or just be able to follow along and see more of your story and more of your journey? Me personally or Hands Producing Hope? Both. Okay, great. Um, so for Hands Producing Hope, yeah, um, I would definitely say – so our, our Instagram is the most active. Um, it's just at Hands Producing Hope. Um, we also we we do have Facebook too. We'll post on there. Um, we'll share you know articles maybe that we want other people to see or other. We'll be able to share additional things on Facebook that you can't necessarily do on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we do have an email list, and that the email list is one of my favorites because we're able to dive in a little deeper on certain things, yeah. and you know we don't have time to send out emails all the time, so you don't have to worry about getting more than like one every other week because ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah, ain't nobody um, got time for that. But <laughs> but we try to, you know, whether it's like 
talking about the story behind a product, but often, you know, highlighting an artisan, what their life is like, you know, what they enjoy doing. Um, this past one we just sent out yesterday talked about the different festivals that we have going on in the month of April, where you can find us because we have a, you know, we have an event going on in Virginia and two events going on in Louisiana just tomorrow. So you can, you know, kind of find out like where we're going to be um, and just kind of some of the behind the scenes things. So that's a, that's a fun way. And you can just sign up um, through our website and yes, that's a great way to, to stay up to date of what we have going on. Um, And if anyone ever wants to reach out to me about anything, I would love to answer any questions or just connect and make a new friend. Um, You could email me at Rebecca at handsproducinghope.org. And also if you just filled out the inquiry page on our website, you would also, I'll see all those. So you can, you can reach me that way too. Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on the show and for just for sharing more about Hands Producing Hope and all that you guys are doing. And I personally, I have the Shalom Shalom necklace and the Irma bracelets, and they are beautiful. And every time I wear them, they're the great kind of just everyday neutral pieces. And every time I wear them, I get compliments on them. And where did you get them? Where did you get those? I'm like, girl, let me tell you. So... Um, so I can't wait to, um, to just continue to share your story with people. Um, I think you guys, what you got, like I said, what you guys are doing is amazing. And, uh, thank you so much for taking the time out of, um, what I know is a busy schedule, um, to, to sit and talk with me and share your story. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Molly. I really appreciate everything that you're doing to, to share the stories of, of organizations like my own. That's really huge. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I, um, I will definitely have to have you back on the show at some point and to just, you know, we can talk more and delve more into, you know, some of the stories of some of the artisans and, um, and just, just get a little bit deeper, you know, cause I love it. And, but I love, um, I love just hearing, um, just sort of your vision and your mission. And, um, I can't wait to see how you guys grow. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah. I would love to come back. That'd be fantastic. Hey guys, I hope you loved my conversation with Rebecca. I had so much fun talking to her. I loved hearing all that she is doing. Um, And I love just her approach to really addressing the needs of these people in these communities. And I loved how she talked about how Costa Rica and Rwanda are, you know, two very different countries, yet they share so many similar things. And so she just really saw a problem and she wanted to, to do something. She didn't want to just sit back and talk about it. She wanted to just actually get up and do something. Um, if you love the show, I would love for you to share the show with a friend, leave us a review on iTunes um, and share on social media. You can use the hashtag business with purpose podcast, and you can find me at still being Molly on Instagram and Twitter. And you can uh, let us know what you loved. Tell us something you learned and tell us what maybe inspired you the most. I would love to hear your feedback. Again, thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you guys next week. Bye.